welcome everyone to the big nudes in the dm oh uh, no 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 i think we said that wrong let's um yep i think i said it right i am i'm done. all right this all is right. the girthiest and veiniest show on the internet that's i know that's not true welcome to the most throbbing co-host of all oh god this tug. is getting oh, this is a throbbing tug nope N- yep. nope yep uh you'll notice bug is not here uh that's because he decided he had better things to do than talk about the fcs quarterfinals for some reason that's something about a yeah, something about a holiday party for for his his work. Ah, gross. Who does that kind of thing? Get out of here. <laughs> Celebrates the holidays. I don't even have my lights on my tree because But you have a tree I, up. That is true. It is true. But it's also December 7. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit early for Christmas things. No, it's it's about right on time, I would say. It's about about right on time. Who am I kidding? I've been listening to Christmas music for three weeks already, actually. Yeah, but yours have been like not your standard Christmas music, which makes it okay. My favorite Christmas album of all time is August Burns Red. <laughs> uh that's <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Die Hard is also your favorite Christmas movie. That is incorrect. Oh, okay. Actually, what is your favorite? Is, is Die Hard movie? your favorite Christmas movie? What is what's yours? I'm I've always been a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation fan. Man, okay. No, you can't judge me like that without giving me yours. I can, and no. I'm about to. <laughs> no, what's your favorite Christmas movie? I like some of them. That's for sure. Yeah, but what's your favorite one? <laughs> Is it is it one that's on Hallmark or Lifetime? No. Oh, okay, good, good. I I still respect you as a person. Then. No, I'm I'm actually a a huge fan of Elf. That's fair. Uh, my family watches it at least once a year, every year now. I could I could get on board with that. That's that's a good one. <laughs> okay. Oh <laughs> uh, man, so welcome to the show. We're not the big nudes in the DMs. We're the big dudes in the trenches because we talk about football stuff. As the rules imply, we talk about almost every game all the time, but especially in these playoffs and uh, in playoffs. The, yeah. In the championship week and Army Navy week and in bowl season, we're talking about every game in Division One for sure, guaranteed. There are no more bonus points, as far as I know. Bug had an idea, but it was just a way for him to swindle more bonus points. Yeah, out he of full season. Them. Exactly. So bonus points are over, which means it is what it is on bonus points. You have to catch me the natural way. <laughs> on the one hand, I get what you mean. On the other hand, I don't want to. It would be cool if you did. No, dude. You just talked about us being the big nudes, at, <laughs> big nudes in the DMs, and now you want me to catch you the all natural way? No. Oh yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> That's disturbing. Yeah, That's... it is. That was my thought. <laughs> I think it is time to playoffs. talk a little bit of playoffs. I heard playoffs. it. Playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. 
talk about? Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Still one good. of the greatest NFL sound bites ever. It's hard. It's hard to beat. Although Sean McDermott really tried today when he gave a speech about how teamwork is important, just like the Saudi Arabians had when they knocked down our towers on 9-11. I'm not kidding. It's a real thing that happened today. <laughs> Aren't they playing kidding. the Jets this week? I... <laughs> Holy shit. I hope so now. That makes it way worse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. They're playing the Chiefs. All right. All right. Crisis averted. <laughs> Not really. It's still a crisis. What the fuck? You can't just talk about Look, how some so I will show great teamwork. <laughs> I will say, there's not many sound bites that compete with. Uh, oh, what's his name? God damn it! I'm gonna let you let you fester. I know he's the Lions coach. Does that count for anything? He used to be the head coach of Miami, so you really ought to know. That's not true, dude. There's Don Shuler. There's a bunch of blanks. And then there's Mike McDaniels. That's really all that matters. Wow. You're forgetting your man, Dan Campbell. That's not Dan Campbell. I'm saying this guy on the screen, not Dan Campbell. Oh, I, I, thought, I thought you said you said the Lions coach. I thought you meant modern. No, this, this guy was Lions the coach coach. of the Lions, wasn't he? Okay. Uh, or was this when he was with the Colts? Either way. There's not many sound bites that beat this, but Mike McDaniel, when you listen to his, he sounds so high. It's not even funny sometimes. And he I just has you were the quickest to talk about Dan Campbell when he talked no. about biting players' kneecaps off. No, that's just straight <laughs> up Dan Campbell, man. That's grit. Exactly. <laughs> that's what makes it so great. That's PC principal over there. That's just normal Dan Campbell shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, talk about the FCS playoffs. Let's get into it here. We are down to the quarterfinals, which means we have a lot of Big Sky and a lot of Missouri Valley. We do have a couple of sneakers off in here. Uh, starting off, the SoCon at the Big Sky here, Furman at Montana. But before we get into it, I, I feel real bad forgetting who Jim Mora was. You should. I was just going to let you fester as long as it took. I, to I had to look it up. Either way. Uh, this is going to be a great game. Furman's making a good run for it, but I think they uh, they come up on the end of their Cinderella story here. Montana's just on a different level right now. They've been playing solid. They've looked good. They have not looked like they did in, what, week one, week two? Uh, since about week four. So this is – they're running into a monster. It's just bad timing. It's the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are at home against a – Southern Conference team who's actually in the South, which is not always the case for SoCon teams. Montana but, uh, and Bozeman? Yes. Let's look this up now because I'm curious. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The, the spread for this came out, and it is actually like 20 and a half points in favor of the Grizzlies, <laughs> which seems a little bit disrespectful. Not going to lie. Furman has had a great season. And they're coming on, you know, they, they they won the second round game pretty definitively. I really don't think there's any qualms in saying Furman is one of the best teams in the country right now, but they're running into the Grizzlies. 
yeah, they're they're running into the honestly not just the number two seed, but the second hottest team in the FCS. Uh, more importantly, they're running into one of the second or into the second hottest team uh, with a high temperature tomorrow of thirty four degrees, and they're coming from the SoCon. That is going to be brutal. That's that's a very high temperature. Yes, <laughs> nice balmy tropical 34 degrees can't wait <laughs> god damn it <laughs> this game will be on friday night which is also terrifying a night game and it's definitely going to be snowing yep because that's how no it it's not it's not in the snow it's not in the forecast i don't believe it it's the in the forecast for monday want. forecast can say whatever it wants to it's going to snow in spirit <laughs> one percent one percent chance tomorrow yeah, that's a that's a one hundred percent chance in my in my heart. <laughs> Fair enough. Next up here, Villanova at South Dakota State. Uh, of course, we're all going with the Jackrabbits. I think you nailed it pretty well. You said Montana was the second hottest team. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, here's the first, and it's not. <laughs> I swear these all don't go by their ranking. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. No, South Dakota State is undefeated. Yep. In a couple of years now. That's pretty good when you can do that, pull that off. Even across two head coaches now, which yep. is insane. Jimmy Rogers today. We'll talk more about that later, I think. Head coach of the year, according to Stats Perform. But uh, we'll see. We'll see if we agree. Maybe, maybe that's coming up. Maybe. maybe. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Next, North Dakota State at South Dakota, an all-Missouri Valley quarterfinals game. Now, South Dakota did win the regular season matchup between these two teams at North Dakota State by five points. So then why are Bug and I going for North Dakota State? Uh, I feel like I need to justify this first before I let you go because you are picking who should, in theory, be the favorite, right? Yeah. South Dakota won that game off of two massive breakaway plays and North Dakota State not playing as well as they normally do on offense. There was a there was a turnover. Even still, North Dakota State had more production like in terms of total yardage than South Dakota did by a lot. They won time of possession by a lot. One turnover and two breakaway plays. Sure, it's a close enough game where that makes a difference. But also, I, A, don't think that happens again. And B, I'm not sure it's that close this time around. North Dakota State is playing like the better team as of late. I, I It's hard to argue there's a – there's <laughs> – I know so, it twice let, now, but let me this is one in, of the hottest teams in the FCS for sure. I was just going to say, let me put some words in your mouth here. The third hottest team in the country is North Dakota uh, yeah. State. Like right. it doesn't follow the seeding. The matchups <laughs> right. might. Like the right. number three seed is involved, but South Dakota is not the the third hottest team in the country right now. That is North Dakota State. But, but, I don't know if you know this. The entire state of South Dakota hates. The entire state of North Dakota. Um, more importantly, where I think this game is, because everything you brought up is a solid point. This is going to be 
you're not going to get fluke plays or you shouldn't get fluke plays that win this game. But I think that crowd's going to be a factor out in Vermillion. I th- I think North Dakota North Dakota State on the road is not the same team quite as much. Okay. It, and I hell, I'll bring it back to what you guys keep saying. Domes are different places to play in FCS college football. Ah, man. I'm going to ride with the home team here in a, in a little bit of home state pride, even if it bites me in the ass. Really fun stat about that, saying that they're not going to travel well, or maybe it'll be home field advantage. Uh, North Dakota State fans broke into the system figured out the password to get to South Dakota's allotment of tickets and bought up all of South Dakota's tickets that were going on. So that's hilarious. <laughs> so North Dakota state fans are going to show up in waves for this. I, I <laughs> dude, I love it. I'm still going to give it to the home team here. Uh, I mean, I get that, it. that's really where I'm drawing, drawing the line. <laughs> uh, pretty much any other team outside of, well, Montana and South Dakota, put, put North Dakota against Idaho. And I probably take North Dakota state here. Um, Put North Dakota State against Albany, and I take North Dakota State against another Missouri Valley team. I'm, I'm leaning, I'm leaning the home team here. Yeah, I think the only teams I'm picking ahead of the Bison this year are South Dakota State and Montana. And um, we, at we least might, right now, we'll I mean see. the way this is the way this is breaking out, we might get. I mean they're going to be on a uh, collision course if this goes the way you think it does. I know, which I'm very excited for. Because which is like a repeat of last damn. year, too. I know. I and the know, year there before. Is, there will be one difference, though, and that would be the fourth team in that semifinal. Yes. Which will come down to Albany against Idaho in the Kibbe Dome. And it is the night game, the only game this weekend that is not on network television. You have to go to ESPN Plus for it, but well, it that's definitely be worth it. That's just payback for last week for Idaho being the only game on network television. Right. Fair enough. Which I can't believe after that game, they did not put it back on network television. There's something about that team, man. Um, my entire logic here, I wish Ben, I, I wish bug were here to talk to us about why he's taking Albany. I think I can see it. Um, but man, playing the Kibby dome. It's and it's not even the entire game. It's that second half where that crowd starts to take over, and you can see a difference in the players. That's what I noticed last week. What's your take? Holding up the baking sheets, going nuts. Yeah, right. It's a great environment. What I will say in favor of Albany here, and I know I'm picking the Vandals, but in favor of Albany, it Southern Illinois last week felt like their offense was so up and down drive to drive like there were some great plays by the Idaho defense but there were also some inept plays by that Southern Illinois offense that made this as close as it was last week really it felt like Southern Illinois was the better team for several drives but Idaho just came up clutch yep Albany's offense is way better than Southern Illinois like (laughs) I don't know that it's close and the defense is relatively comparable, at least what we know right now. I don't know if it's exactly the same level, but I I don't mind putting Albany's defense up against anybody in the country. So 
with a more high-powered offense, there is a chance that Albany is able to move the ball more consistently than Southern Illinois could, which would it would be the difference in that kind of a game. I had a really hard time picking this one. Honestly, I took the tug approach, went with the home team in a game that I couldn't decide. Uh, there's more to it than that for me, too, and it's what team to this point has Albany played on the road in a stadium like the Kibbe Dome? Fair. That's right? very that's, fair. That's that's an environment that is not common to these teams. I mean, Albany, I'm almost surprised they don't have a dome, uh, or do they? They don't. Okay, I'm almost surprised they don't because they're in that northern tier where most of these domes sit. But a lot of the CAA doesn't have domes. A lot of the uh, Northeastern Conference doesn't have domes. So a lot of where they like to hang out, where they like to go play their games in their conference, they don't have this experience. And that's, I think, going to be a huge difference maker versus the big sky in the, in the uh, Missouri Valley where just about every other team has a dome. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely hand it to Idaho. That environment is something else. And they are battle-tested, right? Yep. Montana, Montana State, at least in their own conference. Yep. We could even add more from their own conference. And then on top of that. So, <laughs> it's, yep. yeah, Idaho's a, a very good team in their own right. I will give the offensive edge, though, in this game to Albany. That's fair. Defense wins championships. So off well, so here's the problem with that. There's another part of that saying offense wins games, defenses win championships. I've always heard his offense sells tickets. <laughs> that too. I mean, they do that too. <laughs> but it'll be tough to sell tickets to people out in Albany when your game is taking place in Moscow, Idaho. So good luck with that. <laughs> Facts. But that actually does it for the FCS. Because uh, there are only four games in the FCS this weekend. Exciting stuff is the quarterfinals, after all. Which means next week, the semifinals, and then we have like an entire month off, almost. Not exactly, but three weeks off until the championship game. What? Maybe I'm premature in asking this, but what do you do with that amount of time in between the semifinals and the championship game if you're the head coach? Oh, if you're the head coach, man, you, I I'll tell you the first thing I do is I'm going to spend the first entire week knowing who my opponent's going to be in nothing but game planning meetings with my coaches. I'm going to give the guys a, a week off, uh, maybe some light training, some light cardio in the, in the weight room. Uh, but we're not going to do anything intense. That first day we'll review film, uh, from the previous game, make some corrections we need to. But after that, I'm doing a bunch of film study with my with my coaching staff, and I'm giving I'm giving these kids a break because let's be honest, at this point they would have played just about what 14 games in yeah. uh, in approximately 16 weeks. Right. They they deserve a break. I'm sure players. It's also about <laughs> final. It's also about finals time for them too. Right. I know, which uh, is why the Ivy League doesn't participate because Assholes. they're scared if they're if they're successful, they will ruin their final schedule because that's that's clearly what matters here is playing school, <laughs> right? 
Oh, I man. play school at football practice. Well, you're doing football practice wrong. But in addition to being quarterfinals week, there is one FBS game oh, no. this weekend. One singular at, game. Gets at Gillette slot. Stadium. My wife is excited she gets to work it. <laughs> uh, of course, we were talking about the Army-Navy game, which means we have special uniforms because that's what it means now every year. I love both of these uniforms. Well, let's start off with Army. Do you do you know the symbolism behind this uniform? I know it is. Uh, I believe it's based off the third, I want to say, infantry division. Uh, back in the early stages of Operation Iraqi Freedom, Rock of the Marne was the unit's motto. Uh, and then the tan that you see is meant to kind of invoke the Iraqi desert sands and things like that, match the... Uh, the tan uniforms of the time. I mean, pretty well nailed it. I wasn't going to say anything different, so <laughs> perfect. No, this this army uniform is dang clean. I gotta so, say. So that's the thing is you're going to see two different styles of uniform here. Army goes the simplistic, clean route. Navy mm-hmm. goes for the the shock and awe route, which is really funny because that's kind of opposite how they both actually operate. Right, <laughs> but. These are, if you're looking for a classic style uniform that just pops for, for no good reason, it actually just pops, the army's the way to go. Yeah, and I usually don't like that weird, like, extra detail on, like, the, the stomach line, but that inverted chevron down there kind of looks awesome. <laughs> and then the slightly weathered digicamo on the center stripe looks really good, too. Right? That is... That is something else. Oh, man. And a little bit of gray in the black of the letters and numbers. Yep. Just gives it like a, yep. a gunmetal feel. That, yeah. Although it's, it's That's solid. what they're going for. It's solid. I love it. I am I am laying it on a little bit thick. There's a there's a plant manager that I work with went to West Point. So Gross. <laughs> he hey, played sprint football there, so it's fun. It's you, fun. You, know, you, you know what he and I have in common? We both got um, into air, uh, we both got into West Point. <laughs> I was going to say that you both hate the Naval Academy, but <laughs> that too. These are facts. Speaking of, these are Navy's uniforms. So over the past about I want to say three years, Navy has gone to getting these uh, hand painted helmets, and they are fantastic some of the details you can't really see here uh, you can kind of see a little bit of it up in the top of the guy looking at you uh, you've got a monochrome not monochrome um, prismatic uh, type paint that kind of change multicolor changes in the light like the uh, radar so the uh, exact opposite of monochrome yes yeah thank you <laughs> uh, the whole helmet I think is painted in that that prismatic type paint where it can change based on the shade uh and then they're they're honoring the submarine service here so they're going with the silent service uh you can see it i want to say something but we'll get in trouble uh it looks like we'll go with the the not getting me in trouble route it looks like bullet bill from uh, mario up on the helmet on the guy on the top left uh wow you know <laughs> you know what i think that looks like and i can't say it uh, but no, these are our silent service. So what you're going to see is on the back of the helmet, 
Uh, you can kind of see it here in the bottom left is the presence of the the silent service on the, I guess, collar of the helmet. I don't know what you call that. I mean, that's good enough. I know what you mean. So, yeah, I don't know what to call it either. These are also so the uniforms themselves are very simplistic, but Navy goes all out on the helmets and they have since they started doing the carrier designs. And these are fantastic. Now, I have a question, and yes. I, I don't even know if you would know the answer to this for sure, but the Marine Corps patch on the pants. Yes. Is that for every player, or is that I, for players who are going to commission on the Marine Corps? So, I'm not sure. i give you my best guess. Uh, with this being silent service, the Marines really don't go on boats too often. Or on right. on subs. So subs, I'm gonna guess and say subs, that right. yeah, I'm gonna guess and say that number twenty-three here is being commissioned into the Marine Corps. That being said, most of these guys who are sophomores and even juniors won't know that that's where they're going yet. So I'd expect right. to only see these on upperclassmen like uh your seniors and maybe a couple of the juniors. Which I think that would be really cool if they only did it for those commissioning in the Marine Corps. I agree. I agree. Would add something to it, but maybe it'll be for everybody because the Naval Academy, of course, commissions into both. They uh, commission technically but, into everything. We do cross commission. I mean, yeah, so does the Air Force Academy commissions and everywhere too, but it's not like yeah. you're going to see Army logos on Air Force uniforms. So, Especially not in this game. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, especially because Air Force isn't playing in this game. Hey, hey <laughs> that we would be still reason. win this game. That is legitimately not true. No, but it is. you're picking Air Force anyway. Yeah, so let me explain how Air Force wins and where my pick actually goes here. Uh, yeah. if, if Navy picks, if Navy wins this game, the Commander-in-Chief's trophy is shared uh, officially, but it stays at the school that previously won it. Therefore, if Navy wins, Air Force wins. Uh, so my pick is so, dis- disguised as Navy. Yeah, so you're picking Navy. Okay. But we're keeping the Air Force logo because but Air Force wins. So you're, so you're picking Navy. No, I'm picking Air Force. You're, so you're picking Navy. I am like. rooting. No, 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 no. Let's clear this up. I am rooting okay. for Navy. I'm picking Air mm-hmm. Force. Because if, if Navy wins, Air Force means wins. you get a point. Because Navy won, then you were you were picking Navy. No, no, no. Because <laughs> if Navy wins, then Air Force wins. And because Air Force wins, I get a point. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> let me let me get this straight. <laughs> So Army wins, you get nothing. I get nothing. Okay. Step one down. Okay. Navy wins. <laughs> yeah. And that was your pick, so you get a point. No, 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 no. Because Navy wins, <laughs> Air Force wins. Because Air Force wins, I get a point. I do love the SpongeBob reference there, though. That was fantastic. <laughs> I am very tempted to say that you only get a point if this game goes to overtime. No, like this is a hold on. No, you and Bug have both done this. This is the one time this year I've done this. <laughs> it's not true. We forced you into it a couple of times. No, so... <laughs> this is the one time I have elected to do this voluntarily. <laughs> and I'm at least tying it to a team and I'm not putting caveats on it like Bug did. Oh, well, if they're kicking at the north end. So. <laughs> So Bug is also picking Navy. Now, let's let's get this out in the open air. Army is the favorite in this game. Army has every reason to win this game, which means it most likely will be Navy who wins this game. But I'm picking Army 
because on a purely football analysis level, Army is the better team. See, here's my thing, though. Army has only been the better team for the last four or five weeks. And what I mean by that is Army was one in six going into the Air Force game. Army has gone four and no since. Air Force went 0 and four since. Um, but it's in those last four games that Army really pieced a lot of stuff together. Sure. So I, I can but isn't see isn't that also a good thing for an army? Don't like... get me wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. What I'm saying is those stats that you're you're referencing that army looks like the better team, it's definitely a little hyperinflated because army also has two games against FCS opponents. Navy played an American yes. American Athletic Conference gauntlet. Uh, and they're still coming out five and six, one game away from bowl eligibility, both of them. Navy just did it a little more consistently, except for week zero. Uh, we won't we won't talk about week zero, uh, but Navy's looked a lot better since that point too, and they've been building throughout the year, and they played better competition. So Army did beat two FCS opponents. I grant you that, but they also beat third place in the American and UTSA, and they beat Air Force coming off of an eight win eight game win streak. Like this Army team is good. Hot. They just ran into LSU and Troy and were so beat up that they couldn't handle mass UMass after losing to sixty two to nothing to LSU. Like, like I said, I th- where I'm coming from is I actually see this as a dead evenly matched game. I don't think one of these yeah. teams is the favorite. I think this game, the spread should be even. Like, and and you you pick your winner here. That's that's where I'm at on this game. Well, it's not even. Last I looked, Army was a three-point favorite, which is basically even, but That's it is a neutral site. So, <laughs> and this is a true oh, neutral site, actually. Yeah, this is yeah, about. This actually might be even distance from Annapolis and in West Point. Maybe a little bit more in favor of West Point, but not much. It's it's probably closer to West Point a little bit, but yeah, I guess if you're taking a direct route from Annapolis, it'd be pretty dang close to that as well. Um, so my, there haven't been too many non-true neutral site games, even like Philadelphia. It's pretty relatively equidistant. Apparently, the stadium doesn't quite know how to handle cadets, and they think everybody who goes to v- watch this game is going to be in uniform. That is not true. No, that's it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I was laughing last night. Why do you say that they think that? It. Because my wife is like, everyone at the stadium is freaking out. They're like, what do we do if somebody in uniform tries to buy a drink? Give it to them. It's their choice. If they want to screw right. their career, that's... What if a cadet... It, it Just let them. That's not your job. Your job is to make money. I mean, true. Also, are, they are probably they won't al- do that. Are they allowed to move around the stadium? No. Yes. Definitely not. Yes, <laughs> Definitely they, not. They are fans. <laughs> Like I don't, definitely, it's it's just and it's it's not my wife asking these questions. It's all right. of her coworkers and stuff, and it's just like, oh my god, people, <laughs> these guys are normal people. Like they, we're imagine how shocked they're going to be when one of these fan bases slash cadet cores rushes the field after the game. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> oh, they can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, are they supposed to? Maybe, maybe not. Not my decision. But can they? Yes. 
I mean, the correct answer should be that the commandant of cadets is also going to rush the field and probably correct. lead the way. That correct. would be the right was, thing to do. <laughs> dude, so the, my one story back against CSU back in 2014, I start moving forward and I look and the commandant step would step with me and I'm like, we're going. That's it. Sold. <laughs> Beautiful. That was a wonderful <laughs> memory of me storming the field at at the academy on Thanksgiving Day. Oh man! <laughs> but after this game, that's it. There's no more regular season FBS football. There's actually no more regular season college football at all. Stop. The entire country. Stop. But we have uh, 41 bowl games, hey. and we have semifinals. And we have the national championship. Well, for both well, the we FBS don't. And the FCS. We we don't have semifinals or national championship for the FBS. Well, we'll still pick them. I mean, it's it's that's easy. We just to won't. Do. No, but I mean to watch. Like we still won't right. have that. Yeah. Of course not. It's fucking gross because they they ruined it. All right. Before we get into the the last part of our show here, which is probably going to be the longest part of the show, I need to ask because you yeah. called it out last week. The report that the NCAA is looking to make a new subdivision. Man, I haven't really heard much from you on it because I haven't really asked. I want to wait for the show. Talk to me about it. What do you think? I mean, it's just it's been coming for a long time. If you've been up on college football, you can kind of tell it's where things are headed. If you don't know the story, the president of the NCAA came out and announced they're looking into the creation of a new subdivision in division one of college football that would allow uh, every school in that new subdivision to set aside basically a salary pool, practically a salary pool that they would be able to pay players out of. So it would be a minimum dollar amount requirement per student athlete at the university. So the schools with more sports would pay in more. And in theory, there would be all kinds of legal restrictions on how much they're allowed to pay and, you know, who they, all they have to pay and whatnot. I don't think it would be a straight 30000 a year job for these student athletes, but it would, I don't think it would be that equal. But I think that's the amount that's being speculated that would be required or that was part of the statement, at least. That's still all going to have to be negotiated, so we don't really know. Either way, this would be like the the life-saving maneuver by the NCAA, right? Because other than having your own division where colleges can play, can pay players, outside of that reality, you end up with schools just leaving the NCAA what, in order to do that anyway. My take on it was more of shock because, and I, I mean, you had called it because the way the wording came out, uh, with what they were planning is the schools with the extra resources, right? right? That's literally what they said, which indicates to me that this is exactly an SEC Big Ten type deal. Right. The Even the Big 12 and the ACC would get left out of this. Their, their schools, they only have two money-making sports. Some of those schools only have one, and that's going to be football and basketball. Like, 
thing is, some of the Big Ten and SEC schools only have one as well, but they're making so much money exactly. off those TV deals exactly. that they can still, they can still handle it. <laughs> exactly. So what would happen with this then is very very potentially you could see a couple of the schools in the ACC in Big 12 still going ahead and joining probably at this point would have to be the Big 10. I don't think the SEC is looking to expand at all anymore. Yep. So we're looking at like a Florida State, North Carolina, maybe, yep. maybe Miami, maybe Clemson. Um, I don't even know anybody else out of the Big 12 that would be in right now. And they would all be in the Big 10. And at, at some point, just call the division the Big Ten and the SEC. <laughs> like, we all know that's what it is. <laughs> Doesn't the SEC have invites out to Florida State, though, in Clemson? No. Okay, I thought I had seen that. No. Um, everything, as as far as every, everyone's allowed to know from the outside, is that the SEC is completely done expanding and is not even considering the possibility. That, that's not true. There's more money it's, in expansion. Therefore... There will be expansion. Well, it's not up to the SEC. If there's more money in expansion, it's up to ESPN. And Disney's losing money hand over fist right now this year. So they're saying... Which is why they expansion. put Alabama and Texas in the playoff. Right. So... The mouse the mouse heard Florida State was getting in and made a call real quick. Yeah. And the chair of the playoff committee's brother is on the board of ESPN. Anyway, that's all... Who knows? Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, – I think we've got some fun things to talk about here. Let's jump into our next uh, <clears throat> next part of this podcast. Yeah. What a great segue. I really – I know. I, I really thought that went through. Yeah. That was good. Really so this show, we're going to announce the finalists of the 2023 BDT Awards. Next show, we will have the winners for you. Uh, but in this podcast, we'll be reviewing the finalists. There are four finalists for each award. We're going Power 5, Group of 5, and FCS at each level. And we'll see what each award is as we get to it. Uh, if you've been around the show for a little while, it's these, these categories will be familiar to you. They really don't change. But, right, I haven't changed the entire time. Which is kind of cool. But we're going to start off here with the BDT 2023 Power 5 Quarterback of the Year finalists. Now, these are in alphabetical order by last name. If we get to schools, they will be in alphabetical order by the way the university represents themselves in athletics. That will make sense as we get to it. Just these are in alphabetical order. Copy. Uh, Hit it. Starting us off here. Jaden Daniels of LSU is a finalist for the quarterback of the year. Uh, should be no surprise to anyone how much I've been talking about how great he is. <laughs> Look, the fact that he's a Heisman finalist on what a nine and three year for LSU uh, is remarkable because usually your Heisman voters love winners. And if your team's not winning, 11, 12 games in the regular season, they really don't want to deal with you. 
Uh, and he leads in just about every leads the FBS in just about every major quarterback statistic. Man, this is a no brainer to have him on our finalist list, except for passing yards. But I, I said will nearly. Say, <laughs> I will say uh, there are three seasons in FBS history where a quarterback has thrown for over three thousand yards and rushed for over one thousand yards. Are they all Jaden uh, Daniels? One of them is Jaden Daniels this year. The other two are Lamar Jackson, uh, which <laughs> who won the Heisman also without winning very many games. Right. His best win in the year that he won the Heisman was actually a loss to Clemson. So <laughs> nice. So Jane Daniels is in that category of so dang good. We have to recognize it, even though the team is fine. <laughs> they're, they're fine. They would not be fine without him. But with him, they're fine. Which I think is, when we bring up the Heisman, I think that's more of a statement in favor of is if you take the player away, and that's how I voted in a lot of these, like when we were talking about our finalists, if you take the player away, is the team as good? That's how I looked at it in a lot of ways. Next I, up here on the screen already, Quinn Ewers of Texas. Now, he was hurt for a portion of the season, which basically disqualified him from the Heisman Trophy. Yep. But... We're the BDT. We do real we recognize real here, and Quinn Ewers has real talent. Um, mm -hmm. Again, this is another situation of take him off the team. Does Texas have eleven wins on the season? Twelve now with the the conference title. I don't think so. That I don't even think look it like it. Like close. they did. They did win with Malik Murphy, but it but wasn't they looked pretty. fine. Yeah, they looked <laughs> fine. Um, yeah. man, Quinn Ewers is just. He's got that talent, and I know it hurts you when I say that because he he left Ohio State way too early. But what you gonna I do? I mean, I knew he wasn't gonna stay when, as soon as he got here. So it is what it is. Well, it was obvious. If he came a year if he didn't come a year early, he might have stayed. But he reclassed, and that's what screwed that over. Next up, Michael Penix Jr. of the University of Washington. Does lead the FBS in that passing yard stat I was talking about a minute ago. He's number two uh, in everything else behind Chase Daniels. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. What he's not number two in at all is rushing yards. Uh, he has negative 18 rushing yards in the season. Good. So take that. But three rushing touchdowns. So he ran backwards for three touchdowns. That's awesome. Oh, the NCAA <laughs> still counts sacks as rushing yards, don't they? They do. That's disgusting. Washington's offensive line didn't really allow that many sacks. So they allowed enough to make that. negative 18 yards. I mean, yeah, what that's saying is he didn't run that often. I know. That's, that's I know. Really, that's really what that means. You know, Michael Penix is a left handed quarterback, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a factor. <laughs> I also concur. Also, his name is Penix which is great <laughs> and unfortunate all at the same time. <laughs> I'm sure it's Bugs' favorite quarterback here. Here are the big nudes in the DMS. <laughs> you did it again. All right. Last year is Bugs actual favorite quarterback this year, which is Jordan Travis. I know there's a glaring omission in Bo Nix. He's our uh, honorable mention. I did put him in here, my, my final. Here's the thing. Uh, Jordan Travis was so good that without them, 
everyone thought Florida State wouldn't amount to anything. So much so that even after they went 2-0 without Jordan Travis, uh, they got left out of the playoff as an undefeated Power 5 team. Brutal. Yep. Also, Jordan Travis really is that good because his touchdown-interception ratio is the best in the FBS. Only two interceptions the entire season. Also has seven rushing touchdowns to his name. That's a big part of his game. That primes slightly, and it brings me great pain. Uh, it brought him great pain, too. Uh, wow, that's... I'm just, yep. I'm just being <laughs> real here. Uh, look, man, I hope... In all honesty, I hope he heals up well. This dude is an unreal talent. He deserves to be here. He deserves to be on the Heisman finalist, finalist list. Florida State deserves to be in the college football playoff. Uh, everything that's happened because of that one play, realistically, uh, is unsatisfactory, in my opinion. Just completely brutal. But Jordan Travis has been an incredible story through his collegiate career and one of the better seasons in all the FBS. We're going to recognize him as such. Yep. Moving on, group of five, quarterback of the year. Again, alphabetical order means we start with Joey Aguilar of Appalachian State. Now, Aguilar maybe doesn't have the best time, like throwing interceptions and stuff, but, man, he can sling it. (laughs) Aguilar Uh, is one of those. to the other team, but holy shit, when he hits this correct target, it's beautiful. So, so I know you're one of those guys, and I, I respect it. That absolutely hates professional player comparisons. But if you're looking for a professional player comparison to Joey Aguilar's play style, you're looking at your Brett Favre's, your Ryan Fitzpatrick's, your even Josh Allen's, where they're going to chuck it. They're going to chuck it deep. Now, I don't know who's coming down with it, but somebody is. That might actually be too harsh. She doesn't throw that many interceptions. <laughs> I mean, Brett he's Favre's not in the NFL yet. Record-breaking interceptions. That's fair. I'll, I'll okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> he's no, a gunslinger, State. man. If the ball's going up. It's going sixty yards downfield. Somebody's coming down with it. I, I just think it's very fitting that one of the teams with the most electric offenses in the sport and a team where they never felt out of any game. Because their quarterback could sling it 70 yards if he felt like it. Except the Sun Sun Belt Championship game. Well, true. But uh, that quarterback's going to be in our finalists, the group of five quarterback of the year. Next up here is Seth Hennigan, the University of Memphis. What is with the kissy duck face? (laughs) I know. (laughs) It was too good. It was too good to pass up on. Uh, slightly fewer passing yards and fewer touchdowns than Joey Aguilar, but, but more rushing less, yards, but also less interceptions and more rushing touchdowns. <laughs> so Seth Hengen is a little bit more of a creator of offense outside of the pocket than Aguilar is, which sounds crazy to say because Aguilar has to scramble all around and Jew can jive 40 times before he chucks the ball 90 yards down the field. Seth Hengen doesn't do that exactly. Uh, but, man, he makes this offense tick. And Memphis would not at all be the same team without Seth Hennigan back there. And, and that's where, where my vote for Seth Hennigan came in, or my, my thoughts on him came in as one of our top four, was that this offense would not be anywhere near what it is with without him. And, I mean, Memphis would be real, real struggling with 
without him this year. Moving on and moving up the leaderboard in quarterback rushing yards, Diego Pavia, and I've been calling him Pavia for like all, almost all season. Uh, Dude, we got to check these faces before we select these photos. He no, looks I'm, scared. I'm doing it intentionally. I'm doing it intentionally. I find the funniest looking photo I can find sometimes. That's on me. <laughs> Your coach is Jerry Kill. Uh, but yeah, Pavia is one of the toughest quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime. Like I, of of like tough as nails quarterback plays I can think of off the top of my head. My mind jumps to uh, Andrew Luck trucking that linebacker while he was at Stanford. Fair. And Diego Pavia fucking suplexing a DB because <laughs> he threw an <laughs> interception. Because he, he could. It wasn't even it didn't even have the interception. He just oh, fucking good. denied the guy the, the will to live. He said, fuck you. <laughs> Desana gonna... on you. Desana on your family. <laughs> He's also short as hell. So Tug, you can relate. I can. And, and dude, I'm really telling you, football, everything so you, you not relate. Everything you just said, though, and then you add in that he's short as hell makes sense. Everybody who's under five seven struggles with small guy syndrome, small dog syndrome. Like we will he's fight like you. Five eight. He's not okay. Anybody short. under five nine? Okay, they're tough, <laughs> and they want to prove that they're tough because they feel like they have to be tough. So it's all a measuring contest. What are we measuring? You don't want to know. I think I do know off that right there. Moving right along. And once again, moving up the leaderboard in quarterback rushing yards this season in the group of five is Caden Salter. 250 passing yards shy of being the fourth quarterback with 3,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards in a season. Broke the 1,000 rushing yards pretty easily. Uh, Great touchdown-interception ratio passing the ball. The best on this list, for sure. Also, those rushing yards. The the thing holding him back statistically is the passing yards. Compared to these other guys, he's not exactly your your sling-it-deep kind of a guy. But, man, he can get out of the pocket and run like nobody's business. And Liberty's offense was very fun this year. At some point, I think we got to say – Jamie Chadwell, his offensive scheme, it is a little bit unusual, but it works for making offenses fun as shit. It's <laughs> it's an unorthodox offense that is built around the players he has, which is fantastic. And right. you can see it because the players have fun in it. It works because the players are having fun with it. And I mean, Liberty just went 12 and 0. You got to you got to give the kid something there. Uh 2,750 yards and a thousand on the ground. That's not a bad year. Like I'll take that any day of the week. Not even 12 and 0, 13 and 0. Not 13 and 0. 13 and 0. Moving along here, FCS quarterback of the year finalists. Starting us off again, alphabetical order is Mark Gronowski of San Diego, not San Diego, South Dakota State. The, the other, other SDSU. SDSU. Holy shit, I can't believe I just did that. You pulled a me. 
<laughs> Look, so not exactly going to light up the stat sheet every single week, in part because he doesn't have to. There are exactly. games where he can hand the ball off to his running back and it works out just fine. But when you need a guy to make a play, it's hard to find a better player in all the FCS than Mark Gronowski. He's going to find a way to get it done either through the air or on the ground himself and is one of those another one of those quarterbacks just tough as nails. Look, Mark Mark Gronowski is one of those players that really he is what made and not this past year, uh the year before, last year. Uh, he is what made South Dakota State's offense two-dimensional and really took them and put them on the map. Uh, he's able to keep that this year, this time without his big receiving threat at tight end, Tucker Craft. Uh, still insane uh, that they were able to do it again to this point this year. Uh, and it's even more surprising that he's not the only one on our finalists' lists from this offense, which tells you just right. how good these guys are. Next up here, you know how much I love limiting interceptions. C.J. Montez, the quarterback for Fordham, is the best at that, limiting interceptions. 26 touchdowns, only one interception the entire year on 3,000 yards of passing. That is incredible. Unfortunately for him, the defense sucked ass, so they only won like half their games. But, again, it's the BDT which means that we can look beyond simple things like win-loss record and find players who are just playing out their damn minds and doing a great job at it. C.J. Montez looked phenomenal this season. Huge shout-out recognition for C.J. Montez. Yep. Honestly, he performed better than I expected him to, and the first week of the season was like at expectation. I was like, man, C.J. Montez is going to struggle a little bit. His first year starting. But then, and he, then he did he turn it on. He yeah. turned it on. It's pretty good. Next here, Reese Poffenbarger for University of Albany. Love Look at that, that little bit of beer gut hanging out the jersey there. That's primo quarterback right there. I mean, that's that's a very small, I wouldn't call that a beer gut. Jeez, being harsh. <laughs> Look. I mean, anytime your your team outperforms what they're expecting to, uh, we had U Albany kind of in the middle of the CAA this year. They come out tied for conference champions of the regular season, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, there is no conference championship. Yeah, game, so they're just tied as champs. Yeah, and then they so beat they, Richmond and they beat Villanova in the regular season. So now they've they've claimed the definitive, undisputed CAA title. <laughs> Uh, anytime you come out like that, a lot of it does come down to what the offense is doing. And this offense has been high flying all year. And a lot of that starts here under center, man. And what a name Reese Poffenberger. <laughs> like, let's go <laughs> next here. Matthew Sluka. Oh, uh, he's Holy your, cross. I'll let you talk about him. You, this, this is your baby. I mean, not literally. We don't know that. <laughs> That's creepy. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Sluka is one of those quarterbacks that, you know, he's not going to work in the NFL. I'm just being real. Holy shit, is he a fun college quarterback. And sometimes that's all you need. This Holy Cross team was four and six. Uh, and then Matthew Sluka happened. And Jalen Coker happened. And Jordan Fuller happened. This offense turned around immediately. 
And Sluka's a huge part of that. He's not exactly going to light it up with passing yards, but he runs for almost as many yards as he throws for, and the offense definitively runs through Matthew Sluka every given Saturday. Yep. The entire game runs through what number nine can do. Sluka is transferring out of Holy Cross now, hoping, hoping to find an FBS opportunity somewhere, which apparently he's already had like two dozen offers. So he'll have some opportunities. Coach Matt Rule is trying to get a cheap quarterback, not the the one and a half, two million dollar quarterback he was talking about. Wouldn't be surprised if he follows his head coach to James Madison. That's kind of what I'm expecting too. Would be kind of cool. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, Sluka has been one of the most fun players to watch in the FCS for the past two seasons. So, how, how does that rank him as a quarterback of the year? We'll find out. But he had to be one of our finalists. I, I insisted. You really did. <laughs> You've been talking about him so much that I just immediately eyes glued to it anyway. So, <laughs> But now quarterback's out of the way. Let's talk about the offensive players. Talk about the rest of the offense. Of the year. Everybody else on the offense, not really. We're talking about skill position players here. Offensive line of the year will be coming up shortly offensive player of the year I'm going to start us off with a name you probably didn't expect to see because he was out for an extended period of time in the season once again we're the bdt we do what we want and we we recognize real we know ball as we like to say when brock <laughs> when brock bowers is on the field he is a game changer you must game plan for him uh, you you need to keep him in mind, and that that's what drives this here. Now, at the beginning of the year, he wasn't that efficient. He got injured. Georgia relooked at their offense, and he became insanely more efficient when he returned from injury, and I attribute that in large part to the fact that they realized it didn't all have to go through him, but he is the dude when you need to make something happen. He becomes the dude there. Yeah, I mean, Lad McConkey had a great season as far as Georgia wide receivers go. Yep. When was the last time a Georgia receiver had that good of a year? Maybe AJ Green. But it's it's the Brock Bowers show, and we all knew that last year too, yep. but this year definitively so. Even though he was out for a set period of time, it's still something was missing when he was gone. Yep. And holy shit, did they find it again when he came back. Next offensive player of the year finalist is Ollie Gordon of Oklahoma State, the leader in all of the FBS in rushing yards and second in the FBS in rushing touchdowns. Oklahoma State definitively guaranteed would not be anywhere close to that Big 12 title game without a player of Ollie Gordon's caliber in the backfield. Look, man, I'm I'm not Coach Mike Gundy out there, but Spencer Sanders ain't it. Uh, but their running back coach is on a tear tear here uh between the last few running backs to come through ollie gordon is absolutely the man on this on this cowboys offense he will be probably next year too uh man you you real have to recognize real you you put up that many yards i think he was averaging what 6.7 6.8 a carry just shy of the nicest uh average out there uh absolutely which insane. is insane Okay, over six and a half yards of carry is nuts. And he's one of the leaders in carries in the FBS, too. Like, he's he's doing it consistently at an extremely high level. 
Correct. In, insane. Uh, man, real, real have to recognize real, and, and Ollie Gordon's real. Which means Marvin Harrison Jr. I'll let you talk here. about him. I'll let you have this one. I mean, everybody knows the deal. He's got to be one of the freakiest wide receiver prospects you've ever seen in your life. Just watching him play, he can do things that you don't think are possible with the laws of physics. And he figures out a way to do it anyway. Because they're not, by the way. I've seen they're, some of these things. They are when Marvin Harrison Jr. has a, has put his mind to it. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> no, he did not lead the FBS in receiving yards or receptions. Uh, he did tie for the lead in touchdowns, though, because he just figured out a way to make most of the plays he was given. Yep. And when Kyle McCord slung one out there 18 yards off target, Number 18 found his way there anyway. Well, that's why. It was 18. If he was 17, he might not have made it. No, he would have made it. 19. He would have made it. 19, it's uh, been a little short. 17, he'd have been a little long. 18, just right. I wish I picked a different number. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Come on, man. You had to know that's where that was going. I didn't because I didn't plan this bit. Holy shit. Fuck you. <laughs> Last finalist for the offensive player of the year, the Power Five, is Rome Odunze, wide receiver for Washington. Now, might be a little bit controversial, some of the names that we left off here, but Rome Odunze is one of those special talents that when you watch him play, you're like, holy shit, why is he not more talked about as one of the best players in the entire world? This is a legitimate talent at the receiver position. Maybe even better in some areas than Marvin Harrison Jr. is uh, as far as like just pure speed and separation ability. Marvin Harrison Jr. makes that to where it doesn't matter. But Romo Dunze doesn't have that problem because he's too far away from the defensive back. So it would be a a real tough toss-up if we're going these two head-to-head. But we have two other players on the screen too. So finalists are set for Offensive Player of the Year. I was going to say, Romo Junze brings up the question Oof. for us as uh, as the BDT guys, as we're, we're going to sit here and vote on these of what came first, Michael Penix Jr. or Romo Junze, the chicken or the egg? Frankly, it doesn't matter. Neither of them are as good without each other. Yeah, but that's true. Michael Penix definitely came first, but you, you know, you know what better. I mean, right? Like. They both yeah. elevate the play of each other, which is why yeah. they're both on our list here. Michael Penix is like a 2,500-yard passer without Odunze and a 4,500-yard passer with Odunze. <laughs> Whereas Marvin Harrison elevates Kyle McCord's play, but Kyle McCord doesn't elevate Marvin Harrison's play. That's the Kyle McCord doesn't elevate anything. <laughs> that's, well, he elevates the ball. Go be the best quarterback Syracuse has ever had. Yeah, and fuck yourself. Is he going to Syracuse? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Dude, I, you're so in tune with the recruiting wire sometimes that you say things like that. I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. Like, <laughs> I just trust you that much. That'd be a fascinating move if I, that happens. I, I like the idea of Kyle McCord to Iowa. That would just make me laugh. Legitimately, he it's would possibility. be the third best quarterback that they have. I know that's hard to hear. It might legitimately be true. Anyway. Anyway, let's get to the group of five here. 
Group of five offensive players of the year starting us off. We're going back to the Liberty Flames here, folks, because Quentin Cooley is one of the best running backs in the country. Also over six and a half yards to carry. Yeah, well, actually 6.2. Oh, just under. God forbid. (laughs) With 16 touchdowns on fewer attempts than most of the guys who were up there with that many touchdowns and as many yards. The rest of the rushing attempts went to to Caden Salter. Yeah. Right. His quarterback took him away from him. But Quentin Cooley made the most of his opportunities. And damn, he was good. The Liberty had a phenomenal offense. Yes, they went up against bad competition. Make of that what you will. But this offense was very productive. Uh, Quentin Cooley was a big part of that. Our next finalist is... Torrey Horton, wide receiver for Colorado State. Now, Torrey Horton, I, I don't know how to describe it other than he's just one of the best jump ball receivers I've seen in the group of five ever. Torrey Horton is the type of guy you throw a 50-50 ball to, and he comes down with it 80% of the time. Uh, and that changes the game. Uh, especially for a team like Colorado State, who doesn't actually have the greatest quarterback, who's going to miss the placement. But Torrey Horton is coming down with that football regardless. And that that's why he sits here. He's not going to wow you with stats. His stats are above average, but they're not fantastic. Uh, it's It's the way he elevates the play and helps that Colorado State offense move is why he lands here. He is the key player on that Colorado State offense. Yet again, another instance of maybe looking a little bit past just the pure stats of things. Finding the best players out there. Next up here is the exact opposite of that conversation because I'm talking about the running back for Troy, Kimani Vidal. I would not want to hit him. He looks angry. He looks very angry, and I don't want to get in his way when he's angry. So, Ollie Gordon, I just said, led the FBS in rushing yards. Uh, it was Kamani Vidal leading the FBS in rushing yards for almost the entire season. Oh, Ollie Gordon passed him just barely at the end there. But Kamani Vidal also set an FBS conference championship game record, regardless of conference, for both rushing yards and rushing touchdowns in a conference championship game. Was it like 305? Uh, Something like that. (laughs) I remember random things, just not names. I remember five touchdowns for sure. Yeah. Um, I legitimately don't remember how many how many yards he had in the conference championship game. You you continue. You continue talking. I'll I'll stop distracting you. Two hundred and thirty-three. Not quite three hundred. So, so maybe it was a, a Sun Belt record for rushing yards, but it was a Power Five. Not a Power Five, uh, FBS <laughs> record. He's, he rushed so good, we promoted the Sun Belt to the Power Five. <laughs> I mean, the Pac-12 is not there anymore, so. <laughs> Fair. The Fun Belt, the Power the Power Belt. <laughs> the Power Belt. That's what the new CFP championship trophy is. It's just the Power Belt. 
<laughs> no, that's the Big 12 Championship MVP award. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Presented by Undertaker. Holy shit. No, Kamani Vidal was awesome to watch this year. Equally important to Troy's success as the entirety of the defense, right? The defense plus Kamani Vidal, you're winning games no matter who else you have on the entire team. So Kamani Vidal, awesome, awesome season. And what a great finish of the year for Troy as well, winning that Sun Belt Conference. Our last finalist for the Group of Five Offensive Player of the Year is wide receiver Ricky White, UNLV, who actually does lead the FBS in receiving yards for a Group of Five player. I'll grant and that. Isn't he up there in yards per reception? Isn't his yards per reception like 20, 25? Uh, 17.1. Yeah, close enough. That's insane. Every time you're, th- so what this comes down to is every time you're thrown to this guy, uh, not every time because it's not yards per target, that's yards per reception, right. but every time he catches the ball, he's down the field. Right. And that every, is- every time he catches the ball, it's a first down and a half. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. That feels thrown to Ricky White. Uh, actually doesn't have that many touchdowns on the season, only seven, and especially that- comparing to some of our other wide receiver finalists across here. That's because Barry Odom's a sneaky little bugger and is still a true down home. I'm on the yep. goal line. I'm a rush it type guy. Yeah. Ricky White will get you to the one. Coach <laughs> Odom's going to run that ball in. I guarantee it every With time. With like four different players in rotation yeah, running the correct. ball, too. Correct. Don't give anybody the individual accolades here. We're going no. to be doing that. No. That's <laughs> but we're, we we're doing it anyway. Yards per reception. <laughs> we're doing it anyway because Ricky White is just that dang good when you actually watch UNLV play uh, and fantastic season for UNLV came up just short in that Mountain West title game, but yep. wow. What a turnaround for the rebels. Wild. And that brings us to the FCS offensive player of the year for everyone except quarterbacks. And Starting obviously. us off is Jalen Coker. One of the guys I already mentioned briefly with a Holy cross offense, Jalen Coker, has got to be one of the most prolific wide receivers in the FCS level. Um, just holy shit. He is – I remember about Matthew Sluka. I said he really doesn't have that many passing yards. Only like 1,700 passing yards. When you compare it to the other finalists for quarterback of the year, that's not that many passing yards. Then you look at Jalen Coker, you're like, how the hell does this guy have like over 1,100 receiving yards? What the fuck? Where'd that come from? Matt uh, He is – he is the entirety of the passing offense, it turns out. And he's really good at it. <laughs> so when you can be the one guy that the entire back end of the defense focuses on, and you still win basically every play, <laughs> you're a talented wide receiver. That's what that comes down to. He, he had these defenses <laughs> trying to play Canadian football with 12 guys out there. That's what this came down to. Right. <laughs> Next here is another hey, jackrabbit. Yeah, this is Isaiah Davis, running back for the Jacks here. Uh, we've talked about him before in the vein that there are some games that it feels like he doesn't need to be on. And it's the same story as with Mark Gronowski. It's just when one of them is yeah. on, the other takes a game off. And when one takes a game off, the other is on. This is just the tandem <laughs> that they have, and it's how the team stays fresh. Even still, Isaiah Davis finishes with like 1,200 yards on the ground and a whole lot of touchdowns. 
because in the games that he's on, he he'll run for like two hundred and eight touchdowns or whatever. Yeah. Insane. Thirty he touchdowns also, a game. <laughs> he also looks like a dude I don't want to tackle. Just looking at those eyes. I nope, I'm good. I don't recommend that you tackle anybody because you are small. 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 <laughs> With an O. Small. Yes. Small. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gotta move on. Another hey. Holy Cross player because we can't get enough of that offense. It's the best part of the team by far. Uh, <laughs> Why is this team not in the postseason? All of their players are on the finalists. All their offensive players are on the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's because their defense gave up uh, 90 points a game, felt like. Anyway. <laughs> This is Jordan Fuller, which is a name that might be familiar to football fans, uh, except this one's white. So, different God guy. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a running back for Holy Cross. Let's and go. he gets the other yards we haven't talked about for Holy Cross's <laughs> offense. Now, I'm going to give everybody a peek behind the curtain. I did not vote for Jordan Fuller as one of my finalists. Uh, Bug didn't either, actually. Tug, you were the only vote cast for Jordan Fuller, but you put him at, like, first place for yourself, so he got in the finalists anyway. Uh, What were you thinking with this one? Because... I got to pull it up to see what I was looking at. Okay. Because I believe you, that you were looking at something definitive. Yeah, yeah. So when I'm I'm looking at this, for a running back, 156 Mm -hmm. carries for 1046 yards, that's outstanding 6.7 a carry. That's not many carries for a lot of yards. That's what I'm saying, right? That's fantastic at 6.7. Then you add on top his 18 touchdowns. Yeah. He was the bell cow on the goal line, pulling it in. Yeah, is that that impressive? No, but you have that big of an effect on this offense. I'm going to give you some love. Uh, is what that comes Fair. down to for me. Fair. No, I, I he was on my short list, but he didn't make my top four. But I I understand, and uh, we'll see what see what everybody else has to say. With hold on, over three years so far, Homie has turfed the ball zero times. All right, he's definitive winner. This, uh, this is ball <laughs> ball security at its finest. Got to hold on to the balls. I only got two of them. Can't let them go. <laughs> hold on. The more I dig into this, <laughs> the, the better it gets. His average, uh, or his longest run in his career, three-year career, is 14 yards. So he's not just averaging 6.7 <laughs> a carry. He is legitimately getting you six or seven yards a carry. <laughs> the more I look into this, the better it gets. Like... All right, our next finalist for the Offensive Player of the Year is going to be a little bit surprising to some folks, I'm sure. Uh, This is definitively the best offensive player for the University of South Dakota. Who am I talking about? It is their tight end, J.J. Gilbreth, who, holy shit, he is legitimately great at the tight end position. Not only as a receiver, but also as a blocker. This guy is one to watch out for. Uh, Really, really good receiver in his own right, too. Not going to take that away from him. But what a solid addition when he lines up online in in support as well. 
Uh, and all around, he's he's one of the guys you just want to have on your offense, which means we went and found him and put him on our offensive player of the year finalist so, list. So one thing, I'm tracking based on ESPN is J.J. Galbraith, not Gilbreth. You're right. Uh, number two, the stats that highlight this for me, his touchdowns aren't great. Uh, he's not the most prevalent receiver on the field. He only has 36 right. receptions on the year. Uh, but those 36 receptions did go for 579 yards. Uh, that's massive for a tight end. This is a blocking right. tight end who can get out in open space and make a play happen. That's what we love to see. Very much so. Very much so. Moving right along, though, Power 5 Defensive Player of the Year across all levels of the defense. Starting us off in the defensive backfield, this is Billy Bowman Jr., the University of Oklahoma. 61 total tackles, six INTs, four passes defensed, absolutely all over the field. They don't want to target him, but they have to. He takes the ball away, or he gives up a pass and shuts the play down right there. That's... I. You can't look for a much better DB out there than what you got right here in Billy Bowman. Six interceptions, four passes batted down. That is, that's a guy who knows how to get his hands on the football when it's in his yep. area. Yep. Pretty impressive stuff. On the defensive line, though, we have Leatu Latu, who I know lit up the stat sheet in the Pac-12, dominated at that defensive end spot. He doesn't get a ton of tackles. Uh, he's got 49 on the year for a defensive end. That's not. But all like all of them are in the backfield. <laughs> but all of them are in the backfield. A lot of them are sacks. Right. A couple forced fumbles in there and a couple interceptions just to, to top it off. Oof. Man, out of the Power 5 teams, I believe he leads the Power 5 in sacks. He does not lead the FBS in sacks. I believe we're getting to that right. here in a bit. Uh, but still, absolutely Absolutely insane year for for uh, Layatu Latu. Next up here, moving to the uh-huh. interior of the defensive line. Uh, big man in the middle, nose tackle, Vince Wilfork style player here in Tavondre Sweat. I love it. Who you might recognize from the prospect preview series. I picked like the one game where he was a little bit down the entire year to yeah. highlight him as a prospect. Other than that, he's been like one of the best players in all of college football. So his stats won't jump off the stat sheet at you. I, I'm looking at him over here. 42 total tackles, yeah. two sacks, zero force fumble, zero interceptions. But that's not going to tell you the story of an interior defensive lineman. Right. This man is lining up, nose up the center the entire game in Texas's down, down home true 3-4 defense. And he is eating the blocks from the center in both of the guards at some times just to shut him down. Uh a true nose guard who is going to plug up holes, and that is his entire job, and he does it really well. Another fun stat, he very nearly caught a touchdown this year, which yeah. would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we all love us a thick six here at the BDT. And our last Power 5 Defensive Player of the Year finalist is linebacker Nathaniel Watson of Mississippi State, one of the leaders in Power 5 in sacks. And in tackles. Yeah, he has 35 solo tackles, but that doesn't tell you the story because he has 102 assisted. So this man is putting his hat (laughs) on the ball every play. Uh, At least that's how it feels. Uh, Yeah. 
add on the interception, couple forced fumbles and 10 sacks. That's man, that that's a downhole middle linebacker that I'd love to have on my team. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you said 10 sacks. Yes. That's really crazy. I know, dude. I only have one. I've only got one. That's nuts. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Group of five. Defensive players of the year finalists. We're starting off with Sidarius Barfield out of San Diego State, not South Dakota State. Hey, we got it right this time. <laughs> wait, wait, that's weird. San Diego's not a state. What? I know. Are we sure? Positive. Damn. <laughs> anyway. No, I know. Sidarius Barfield is all over the place. I believe uh, four interceptions on the season and uh, really makes his presence felt and run support as well. Comes downfield and hits dudes. This is a picture right after he hit a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, <laughs> looks like that might've been Tory Horton CSU. Um, so get wrecked. So when I look at this uh, again, 54 total tackles, which is what you want to see out of your safety. Not too many, but they're going to secure the tackle for you. One force fumble, four interceptions, three passes defense. That is a true center field safety that you want on your team who, like you said, Doug, can come down, play, and run support. Kind of crazy, though, because our next safety actually beats, like, all of those stats, purely statistically speaking. You're not wrong. Devin Grant from Buffalo. Uh, (laughs) I remember he was plus one on interceptions, plus, like, 20 on tackles. Yep, but yep. also, it is Buffalo. So <laughs> he was on the field way longer because <laughs> that offense sucked. <laughs> He's got two pick sixes on the season, 167 total interception yards. Man, this dude is also all over the field, and he's fast. So even if he's on the wrong hash and you throw it opposite side, he can still get to that football, which is insane to think about. Right. I mean, that's... That's what you look for in a safety. It's hard to find, but it's what you look for, for sure. Yep. Devin Grant delivered. Next up here is Jalen Green. I know hey. you were talking about looking for the leaders in F sacks, the FBS level. Uh, Jalen Green was the leader for a very long time. Did not end up atop that leaderboard. We actually don't have the leader in F- sacks in the FBS on our finalist list here. You have to think, though. Jalen Green got hurt with a season-ending knee injury at the beginning of November. He missed three games for James Madison. Uh, holy shit. If he was kept the pace that he was going on, he was coming down the pipeline at breaking the FBS record for sacks in a season. Yep. Because he had 15 and a half in only nine games. Jalen Green was a menace this season looking that that doesn't even tell half half the story so we'll go he had 15 total sacks right he had 15 and a half but we'll count 15 to round the number he had 24 total tackles uh uh, 24 (laughs) solo tackles he had nine tackles alone that were not sacks and i know i'm oversimplifying his statistics (laughs) there but yeah a little bit my man lived in the backfield he was in the quarterback's (laughs) hip pocket the entire game every game he played that's actually really funny 
He didn't tackle you unless you were the quarterback, and then he tackled you every play. <laughs> That's what it feels like, man. One interception, 24 yards for a touchdown, and, man, he can make plays happen too. And then we move to the middle of the defense. Exactly, the middle linebacker, Matt Salopek of Miami, of Ohio. Oh, I love his style of play, man. I, You know me. I'm a huge fan of the 4-3 style defense here. Oh, yeah. 70, 72 total, uh, 72 solo tackles this year, 134. Man, that defense did their job and funneled everything to him, and he was that sure tackler that you're looking for in the middle of that defense. It doesn't get much better than that when it comes to middle linebacker play. Not only that, but a pretty heavy-handed hitter, too. <laughs> like, he would he would lay you out. You came up the middle on him. Matt Salopek is just a – he's a fun linebacker to watch. <laughs> he looks like he studied Ray Lewis tape. That's what he looks like. So a pure killer of the middle of that defense. Yep, literally. <laughs> well, literally for one of those guys. Hey, well, not, that's not we, we don't so, know that. We don't know that. <laughs> But we're pretty sure. Moving on. (laughs) The FCS Defensive Player of the Year finalists starting off with another one of those classic linebacker types. Oh, my God. We just talked shit about Holy Cross's defense. (laughs) Well, here's the best part of it is Jacob Dobbs. (laughs) Here is the defense. Uh, His name is Jacob Dobbs. Actually, that's pretty much legitimately true (laughs) they they followed they funneled everything to jacob dobbs because he was the only one on the defense who could tackle and so he did that really well reflected in the stats (laughs) right he even (laughs) added a couple of sacks to his name too five total uh five sacks two forced fumbles 64 uh solo tackles 122 total i mean yeah this man's all over the field yeah they literally asked him to do everything because he's the only one who knew how to do anything yeah correct so but he did it pretty well, just not good enough to win, you know, games all by himself. That's yep. unfortunate. <laughs> Turns out it is a team sport, but individually, <laughs> Jacob Dobbs was awesome this yes. year. Next up is PJ Jules of Southern Illinois. Uh, legitimately, when I watched him play live, it's just one of those guys you can tell a difference when you're watching a team and you, one guy stands out to you almost every single play, it tells you that guy's probably pretty good. That was P.J. Jules all year. Just safety all over the place, all over the field, every play, making all kinds of incredible, incredible plays, catching up to guys from behind. He and, is uh, always at the right angle, you know. Look, I all of his stats look fantastic. 43 total uh 43 solo tackles, 96 total. That's a lot for your safety. Uh, but right. he is also also the stereotype of a defensive back. Uh, really good at defending the pass, really bad at catching them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 10 passes defense, so he got his hands on them. Zero interceptions on the season. That's the <laughs> one thing I would like to see improved. But absolutely fantastic season for P.J. Jules here. The one knock I would have is, man, you got to take that ball away for me. You know, just put two hands on it next time instead yeah, of just, one. Try that. Get, get me two <laughs> interceptions with those eight passes defense, and I'm elated as a coach. Right. <laughs> on the defensive line, Anton Junkage, defensive end for you, Albany. Uh, 
one of those guys that just lit up the stat sheet with sacks, especially, and it's hard to look away. Look, it's it's the strip sacks, man. Uh, right. He's coming out with four right. forced fumbles. That is some of the highest, like high on the list I've seen. That is the most amount of forced fumbles I've seen. This man lives in the backfield, has a nose for the football, and likes to take it away. He is a true hound, if you will, a uh, a great Dane of them all. Uh, wow, interesting. <laughs> But man, <laughs> and, and he didn't just do it with sacks either. Uh, 44 total tackles, 26 of those are solo, 11 total sacks. That's that's a good season. 10 more than I have. It's pretty good. Nine more than the two of us combined. Wow. Insane. <laughs> Another linebacker type who could do it all. This is Billy Schaefer of Lafayette, who you also might recognize from the Prospect Preview Series. Billy Schaefer was asked to do a little bit of everything for Lafayette this year, and he delivered at basically everything all the time. Yep. 66 total tackles, eight sacks, two forced fumbles. 44 of those tackles are solo tackles. Man lived on the in the middle of that field, got everything fed to him, and then also came off the edge and had a few sacks on his name too. I know he lined up at every linebacker yeah. position that He's you that, could think of. <laughs> which, if you ask me, actually helps his draft stock because as an NFL guy, if I'm looking at you and I can use you to fill one slot on my roster and put you into any of my linebacker positions – Man, that, that's invaluable what I can do based off that. Love to see him bulk up just a little bit and just become a pure edge rusher. Yeah, no, he, that'd be fair too. That'd be scary. He's so good at it. Just let him loose. Gain like 15, 20 pounds of muscle and just tear it up. Be so much fun. Yep. But he's also good at just plugging up gaps and you know being that linebacker that gets funneled too and maybe the occasional interception too. So, yep. you know. Let him, let him live. <laughs> He's still a finalist even without that extra 15, 20 pounds playing on the right. edge. <laughs> Moving on here. This is the Power 5 Offensive Line of the Year. Now we get to alphabetical order by institution, uh, which means we're starting with... That is a T, Doug. All right, University of Michigan, I'll come out here and I'll say it, man. They were uh, – the the offensive line this year has taken a huge hit at this point. I forget homeboy's name who broke his leg in the game. Uh, Zach Zinter. Yeah, Zach Zinter. Uh, this unit's nope. not quite <laughs> – tell me you want to move on with that. Tell me you want to move on. <laughs> Look, but but what this comes down to is this, this unit was not heavily penalized this year. They did not give up a lot of pressures. They moved the ball. Uh, on the ground, which is a full unit project here at right. the uh, Power 5 level. Absolutely great season for these guys. They kept everything in check. And I feel like I'm going to say a lot of these things the same for a lot of these schools because they did a lot of the same things. Hit it. What is what is probably most impressive to me, legitimately speaking, highly of the University of Michigan offensive line, Um they kind of did it without any individual standout surefire they played like, as NFL unit. draft kind of a guy. Maybe Zach Zinter was that guy, but he's not anymore. Right. Uh unfortunately, because yeah. holy shit, that was brutal. 
but they just they play so well together as a unit that the, it's a the sum greater than its parts kind of a deal. It's very impressive what they can do year in and year out at this point, which sucks, but it's also yep. true. So moving on, <laughs> this is Notre Dame, <laughs> who does have one of those surefire top end of the draft kind of a guys at left Go tackle out. with Joe Alt. Uh, but everywhere else, they're just plain solid. And they can still move guys anywhere they want to. Uh, Over about the past four or five years, Notre Dame has been working at becoming offensive lineman university. Uh, and that's still paying dividends to this day. It feels like every year, either a guard or a tackle out of Notre Dame is reported as one of the top offensive line prospects in the draft. That still holds true to this day with, with Joe Alt. It is interesting that they let up quite a few sacks actually on the season to be one of our finalists as offensive line of the year. But everybody who was able to get a sack against this Notre Dame team did it from the same side of the line. They they were all coming from the right side of that line. Nobody came from the left. Uh, so, Which in, in the line's defense, <laughs> Sam Hartman should have seen that. Right. <laughs> That's not his exactly. blind side. His blind side was protected. So that's a lesson, a lesson of the day. Sacks are just as much of a quarterback stat as they're an offensive line stat. And interceptions are just as much of a wide receiver stat sometimes as they are a quarterback stat. That's less definitive. I will say definitively sacks are definitely. I still say sometimes I have seen. I still definitely partially a quarterback stat. (laughs) Hit it. <laughs> oh man, I gotta stop myself from dying real quick. All right, we're good. Next up is the offensive line for the University of Oregon. Uh, this is another one, one of, of those the... units that wasn't penalized, very disciplined all year, right? Very good all around unit. But go ahead, I cut you off. Um, this offensive line has my favorite center in the country in Jackson Powers. Um, and they Scored. they just they don't let up sacks. They just refuse to let up sacks. I know I just said sacks are also quarterback stat. And yes, Bo Nix was able to avoid some pressure every now and then. But they just don't let anybody through most of the time. And if you watch a game of Oregon, you can tell that's what's happening here. This offensive line is just really damn good. Yep. Easy enough. All right, moving on to the University wow. of Washington. Do I see four Big Ten teams on this slide? Notre Dame uh, is a Big Ten team in hockey, so I'm counting them. I like the thought. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. They're, they're an ACC team. Let's no, be they're, real. But they're Big Ten in hockey. Yeah, but I want them to get left behind. When we break away, so they're an ACC team. Dude, Fuck that's them. not going to happen. That's one of those teams with the resources. They got private donors, and they don't need to tell anybody where they're spending their money. Let's be real. We're talking about Washington's offensive line, who also doesn't let up sacks at like a very surprising rate. They just refuse to let up sacks. I think it's, Washington and Oregon both led the country in least amount of pressures allowed. When I was yeah. looking up the stats, like it's insane. Yeah. Their pressure rate was like two percent. For both of these teams. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. 
Not going to lie. That's that's pretty good. They also refuse to give up tackles for loss. Washington and Oregon both, and not just the pressures, but also open up lanes for the running backs too at relatively profound rates when we're looking at Power 5 offensive lines here. Uh, just some really solid units. Yep. For the group of five offensive line, we have uh, – couple of cheeky additions here. Starting us off with Air Force. I can't, man. Look, I, I was looking <laughs> at the stats, and I was actually really impressed with what I was seeing. I yep. really wanted to. Uh, I almost put them in on the on the finalist page for our votes. But here's the thing, and this this drove into why, uh, as, a, as a note here, Air Force's defensive line uh, was number four for me on my list. Something happened the last part of that year. Their rushing yards went down heavily. They started getting penalized more. Something broke after that Army game, and that made me very resistant to take any of the Air Force guys uh, that we had for offensive line and defensive line. Because I'll be honest with you, when you look at these pure stats, these two lines are top five in the nation. Not just top five in the group five. Top five in the nation on overall season-long stats. But something doesn't sit right with me. I understand it. I appreciate it. I actually don't necessarily disagree with it. It's just it's hard for me to to sit there and overlook that overlook that the way the season fell apart on them. So Air Force offensive line fell apart, but Army's just got started. Got better. For the Air Force yeah. game. <laughs> are you, are, let me guess. Next one's Navy. <laughs> I actually know uh, Navy did not make the list. But Air Force, Army, both. So what's what's equally impressive to me, not only like the stats and stuff, like, yeah, sacks allowed, whatever. These teams don't drop back to pass. You can't really take that one into account. That's but, why I look at pressure percentage and sack percentage, like literally a, yeah. a evening stat. Right. So that's those stats are really good. They also don't allow tackles for loss, which – Maybe you can chalk up a little bit to the style of offense they run. It's literally designed to get out of trouble, even if the offensive line creates some trouble for you. But that's not really what happened when you watch these games. They were legitimately moving defensive lines around the field at will, and they're doing it undersized. Yes. It is very impressive what these lines were able to accomplish this year. And what makes this even more impressive is within the past five years, they got rid of the chop block and the cut block, which are two blocks. Both of these offenses and Navy relied on heavily to use their size to their advantage and make wide open holes. Air Force and Army have adapted around that and have found a way to do this with legal blocking schemes now that really open everything up. And the way they do it is they're moving guys and then they're making them make a decision. Yep. It's it's a yep. true zone blocking scheme that puts the defense in a bad situation and off balance. It's just run so well that we have to recognize them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Next year, though, is Liberty. We've talked about the rushing yards for Liberty so much that it's fair to recognize this offensive line is putting in some dang work out there. Liberty's actually actually passed Air Force for rush yards per game at the end of the season there. Which, holy shit! When yeah, when's the last impressive. time anybody anybody beat any of the service academies I, rushing guards for game? I don't know. <laughs> twenty twenty three uh, Liberty. 
Yes, that is the stat. That's the only one to ever do it, probably. <laughs> wild, dude. No, no, Liberty was so good on the ground. And every time you drop back to throw, you know you have a couple of guys on the bookends, not letting anybody through. Yes, it is true. I keep saying this. Liberty did play the weakest schedule of anyone in the country. It is also true that when you watch these guys play, they looked purely dominant. And at some point, you just have to recognize that. And 13-0 is nothing to scoff at, even when you do play the 133rd-ranked strength of schedule. (laughs) Correct. You still did it right for 13 games. Moving off of run blocking into almost purely pass blocking, I'm talking about the Western Kentucky offensive line. Ah, the air raid. Who, yet again, refused to allow anybody to touch their quarterback, at least, like, most of the time. There were a couple of sacks allowed in there, but it didn't happen that often. <laughs> Look, man, those are the stories you love to see. Uh, when the offensive line actually takes care of their quarterback like that and then the offense feasts, it's it's great. Uh, and Western Kentucky has been doing this with that air raid offense and that air raid blocking scheme now year in and year out. Man, I don't see him slowing down with it. So actually... As much as we talk about Liberty running the ball, Western Kentucky throws the ball just as often, right? And Western Kentucky only allowed nine sacks on the entire season, which is tied for second best in the entire FBS alongside Oregon and West Virginia. So outclass the entire group of five in sacks allowed, and they're throwing the ball more than anybody. This is the definition of what you're looking for when you say offensive line for an air raid team. Facts. (laughs) And the FCS offensive lines of the year, starting us off with a little bit of power blocking here with Illinois State. This line was surprising. I love how you say power blocking and then you have a picture of pass blocking. I know, but it's (laughs) (laughs) they got down and nasty with it. Illinois State was a team that surprised us all a little bit on really kind of two different fronts. Like they were just good enough to make things really interesting. But at some level, I thought they might be better on at least on defense. On offense, though, they were actually great a lot of the time. And the passing game was was on point, exactly what you look for out of an Illinois State offense every year. The rushing game, though, with this offensive line in front of them, they could do whatever they, whatever wanted, they wanted to most of the time. It was really impressive to see, especially in that Missouri Valley when you have to get through yeah. some of the best defensive lines in the country week in and week out. Uh, but when we talked about the – I think it was last week in round two of the FCS playoffs. I brought up a stat, like the most efficient offensive lines in the FCS. One of those was Montana State. What do I mean by efficient offensive lines? I mean, like uh, yards of per rush before contact kind of a stat. That's Love the it. kind of thing we're looking at there. Uh, Montana State was just moving dudes. Also... Montana State runs a two-quarterback system. If you haven't seen Montana State play in a while, uh, summarize you, it for you. you. Won't. They, well, true. 
but summarize it for you. Uh, they have one guy who throws the ball decently well and runs it mid. And then they have another guy who runs it decently well and throws it mid. And they use them pretty well interchangeably, depending on the drive. It's just like a gut feeling, which quarterback they go with, it, it seems like. Can't make heads or tails of it. Both of them are somewhat effective because they have this offensive line in front of them. And I was going to say, that's a huge shout out to the center with that because every quarterback is very different. They like to put their hands slightly different. Some like to cup it. Some like to really just keep their, their, their fair distance and adjusting (laughs) to that is absolutely insane. Right. Just ask Weber State's long snapper. Oh my God. (laughs) We will not forget about him. We will bring him back at the worst possible time. All of the time. Next up here is South Dakota. Now, we've already talked a little bit about how that tight end was helping in in blocking schemes, but uh, the offensive line was doing their fair share by their good and lonesome. This was just from a yards per play standpoint, it's hard to ask for much more than what South Dakota was able to produce. Like every time they touched the ball, they were going to get three or four yards just by sheer force of this offensive line. <laughs> three yards, cloud of dust, man. I'll take it all day. <laughs> I'll take it all day. And paired with this defense, that's all you needed most hey, of the time. So hey, it's pretty good. Three plus three plus three plus three is 12. That's more than 10. We're good. Keep it going. That is math. Good job. <laughs> Thank you for I attending approve. math class with the big dudes in the trenches. <laughs> That does leave South Dakota State because, of course, they're on here. Look, there's nothing about this offense that misses. That's the issue. And that's that's what's honestly going to make it hard when I'm deciding this is really what is the most important thing to this team because I – we're not going to sit there and I'll be, I'll spoil it. Like we're not going to sit there and make South Dakota State the winners of everything even though we realistically probably could. Um they have been that good at the FCS level this year. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's close on a couple positions. There are some positions that's less close. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just I insane. <laughs> uh, but they're, look at the they're look up at the three everywhere. bar mass too. That is love that on sixty four. Right, fantastic. <laughs> oh, and then oh, Doug, how do you feel about seeing all the chips on the paint on sixty five? There, getting his head involved. I know. It reminds me of the uh, of the shoot. Damn. <laughs> Good stuff. Offensive line's getting nasty with it. Love to see it. Moving right along to the defensive line of the year for the Power Five, starting us off here, of course. Which means we're starting with Clemson. Now, Clemson had what most would consider to be a down year. But this defensive line was all over the ball all the time. This is one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen of a defensive line. Three different players converging on the ball after a But did they come up with the ball? (laughs) I believe that they did. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure. There's a North Carolina (laughs) offensive lineman that if they don't pick that up, he's falling on it. (laughs) Either way, look, Clemson has become D-line U. They're – kind of nuts in how well they churn out defensive linemen 
uh, at this rate, and this is no surprise to me. They generate their pressure with a three to four man rush, and they generate consistent pressure. That speaks to exactly how good that defensive line is. Especially up the middle this year, more than most years, it's really up the middle. The defensive tackles for Clemson have been phenomenal this season. It it took them a while to get going, but once they did, they didn't look back. And next up for defensive line of the year in the Power Five, we're looking at Penn State. Now, Penn State allowed like the fewest rushing yards of any defense. Uh, also had very close to the top for tackles for loss. Actually, the most in the Power Five for ta- of tackles for loss. And a lot of that came from this defensive line. Both edge rushers were on point. Uh, Chop Robinson looks like he's going to be a first-round pick out of this defensive line. And it's just a unit you really don't want to run against. No. Ask Iowa. They tried. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We saw that one. (laughs) And we've already seen one guy from this next defensive line, uh, which does give it away a little bit. We're talking about Texas. All right, so I know this picture is from the spring game. It's Texas players tackling Texas players. But also I love this picture because it's four defensive linemen tackling one guy. And that's like – that's this defensive line this year. Yeah. They were just all in all, all the right. time. Yep. Oh, man. No, man, we, we already talked about it. When you can plug the lineup in the middle as well as Tavondre Sweat can, the rest of the guys just get to go eat in one-on-one battles. Uh, and that's what happened, and that defense actually carried them through in those few games that Quinn Ewers was out, uh, which is a nice, refreshing change of pace for the Big 12 to see somebody actually playing with the defense. All right. It's crazy. Underhanded crazy comment. how that how good that is most of the time. Yeah. When your Wild. defense is good, you're a better team. No. <laughs> and then on the outside of the defensive line, of course, we're talking about UCLA. Uh, inside Clemson, Texas, outside Penn State, UCLA. <laughs> Which do you like more? And it really depends on what you're going for because UCLA was not as good on the run defense, but they were much better in the pass defense, generating the pressure, forcing the QB hurries, and getting the sacks on top. Uh, insane how similarly these teams play, but how different the outcomes are based on the coaching staff and the talent they have out there. Right. Right. And definitively, one of the scariest pass rushing rotations on pure defensive ends I've seen quite some time. Yep. UCLA had the Murphy brothers and Leatu Latu, and just – they were able to do whatever they wanted to when it came to obvious passing downs because they had two guys who would get to the quarterback regardless if they were rushing four or only rushing two guys. I mean, those two guys would still get there. So, yeah, <laughs> huge credit to that defensive line in particular. On the group of five side, starting us off is Boise State. Now, they didn't start off the season that well. They ended phenomenally and were the heart and soul of this defense for the Broncos that ended up winning them the Mountain West title. Oh my gosh, what a great end of the year for this Boise State defense and this defensive line in particular. 
No, that's 100%. The, the turnaround after fire, firing Andy Avalos is absolutely insane. I, It's wild to see how quickly that turnaround happened, and it just makes you wonder about the mismanagement. And that's about the time the defense turned around, too. Uh, this is when they, they started getting tightening up that defensive line, and it made it impossible. Uh, hell, they shut down Air Force's run game, which is not easy to do. Next is James Madison, who had Jalen Green and James Carpenter. And do I need to say anything else? Yeah, they got the two big guys boy in the middle. <laughs> those two guys by themselves would be terrifying for anybody. But you add to it, they had another guy up the middle who was really good and another guy on the other side of the defensive line who was really good. And actually, <laughs> if Jalen Green weren't racking up almost near-record-breaking sack numbers – uh, the rest of the defensive line would have been what? just fine as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> if he wasn't uh, doing it, of, well, somebody else on that defense would have been. Kind of crazy to think. I legitimately cannot name you a single defensive back on this James Madison team, and yet I still consider them to be one of the best defenses in the group of five this entire season. This defensive line was that good. <laughs> yep. I'm. I actually am excited to see that matchup between Air Force and James Madison in, in the bowl game. That's right. going to be wild. We're talking about an offensive line of the year finalist and a defensive line of the year finalist going head to head. Yep. Beautiful. Next here is Troy, which said, which said Kamani Vidal was the heart and soul of the offense. Heart and soul of the defense was the entirety of the defensive line for Troy. They got pressure at an alarming rate. They got tackles for loss at an even more alarming rate. <laughs> they were everywhere you wanted them to be, and then some. Yep. And they won the Sun Belt title as a result. That's usually how that works. You have a good run game and a solid run defense. Well, I'll do good things for you. Right. I wish we would have been able to see Troy and James Madison for the title. I do, good. too. I do, too. That would have been great. But they beat up on App State. So next year. Next we'll year. And UTSA is our last finalist for the group of five defensive line of the year. Now, one of those defensive lines that maybe doesn't jump off the screen at you statistically, but always felt like they were making the right play at the right time. Yep. Especially when it came down to conference play in the American this year. I could not possibly name you a better defensive line in the American conference than UTSA's once it came down the stretch. And that's including some really, really good teams. So UTSA is very well deserving of this, even though they might not show up in the top 10 of every statistical category you're going to be looking for. Yep. No, UTSA, that the team as a whole, it had its, it started down. It got very much better throughout the season. Uh, and that defense was what kept them steady in a lot of those questionable times. As much as you shat on Army, this Army team did beat UTSA early in the year, which speaks to a couple things. Army was up and down, and UTSA got way better <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> Look, UTSA's issue for a large chunk of the season was that Frank Harris had a major regression in interceptions. Yeah. Yeah, that's let's true. be real. That's the hot and cold of UTSA. The defense kept kept them steady. That is true. Come on now. Fair enough. <laughs> you just sell if, me out. Okay, fine. 
FCS defensive line of the year starting us off in the swack with Florida A&M. Now, what's really scary about this picture is the best player of this defensive line isn't even in the picture. Isaiah Land didn't make the cut in <laughs> this exact photograph. Uh, but this defensive line has got to be up there as one of the top two reasons Florida A&M was the best team out of all the HBCUs so far this season. We'll find out in the Celebration Bowl. It's, it's going to be Howard. Yeah, yeah we know. <laughs> we know it will be Howard. But in the meantime, we can say Florida A&M looks like the best team in the HBCUs. Facts. <laughs> Look, this defense was all over the place all year. It started from week zero against Jackson State uh, in the SWAT kickoff game. The team has not looked back since. Uh, we said it before about some of these other teams, but for Florida A&M, this defensive line is the heart and soul of this team and this defense. Next up, some familiar faces here. Hey, I've seen them before. South Dakota State. All right, we've talked enough about South Dakota State. I'm not going to lie. They're really good. They had to be here. Let's hit the next slide. Southern Illinois is our next team. Uh, if you watch the Idaho game, that alone should tell you how dang good this defensive line is because, wow, Idaho could not move the ball on this front. This picture is from week one against Austin P. when Austin P. Austin could P. not move the ball. A conference champion, Austin P., couldn't figure out how to move the ball. Uh, also, Northern Illinois, who prides themselves on being able to move the ball, didn't could not move the move ball. The ball. <laughs> <Southern> Illinois. <laughs> Look, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna say this. Uh, we were talking back in the uh, offensive lines of the year that uh, Air Force uh, and Army would move the defensive linemen, and thus by moving the pile, they yeah. move the ball forward. The Salukis do the opposite, and what I mean by that is the defensive line pushes the offensive lineman back. That creates so it was really for fun. It was really fun when Bug and I went to SIU and South Coast State because uh, it was like a, a, a an immovable object meeting a whatever the saying is an immovable object, unstoppable yeah. force. Meeting yes, an, an unstoppable object. force meeting an unmovable object. Yes, and uh, nobody went anywhere except for the occasional break to the outside by one of South Dakota State's players yep. and they would get like a bunch of yards but then the defensive line would stop them again anyway and it'd be a punt it was like <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> wild dude. oh man his defensive line kept them in a lot of games where the offense couldn't keep up anyway but defensive line kept them in it yep enough about Southern Illinois let's move on to our last finalist you might be thinking hey that looks like Albany and you're right you also might be thinking, why is Albany number four if this is alphabetical order? It's because they go by U, Albany, and U comes after S in the alphabet. U, Albany is you, weird. You overthought but that. I know. I approve, but you <laughs> overthought that. <laughs> uh, so I Anton Junkin. I was actually sitting here thinking like, huh, he's going he's gonna to sit here and tell me it's the other team in there. <laughs> That's actually who we're talking about. And I knew the answer. Uh, anyway, Anton Junkage was one of our finalists for Defensive Player of the Year for the FCS. Uh, he's part of this defensive line who was really solid across the board. Um, like, one of the best parts of this team. So, 
which was a, was really a good, good sign. team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's usually a good sign when your defensive line is making plays. Yep. And this defensive line made a lot made of plays. a lot of plays. <laughs> and now they're on our finalists. If you, if you don't believe us, go back to what Tug was saying before about all the forced fumbles from Chunkage alone. There were more than that from the rest of the defensive line as well. They made a lot of fucking plays. <laughs> Look, and you can ask Doug, nothing annoys me more as a fan, as a part-time coach, than when a team turfs the football. Do not drop my baby sister on the grass. But when it's the defense forcing the fumbles... Well, that's dropping the other coach's baby sister. That's different. Yeah. That's okay. Well, drop kick the other coach's baby sister. Yeah, that too. That'll work. Bring her to me. I'll adopt her. That's <laughs> that's too creepy. We're moving on. All right. Yeah. Let's let's see. Let's see the coaches here. All right. For the power five. Yeah. Coach the year. How do you want to do, do you, this? I feel like if we if we sit here and let us both talk, we could talk about all four of these for both power or for power five group of five and FCS. We could talk about them for hours. I would prefer not to talk about them for hours. I mean, right. Fair. We'll keep it brief. All right. We'll try to starting us off. This is once again, alphabetical by last name because I tried too hard with alphabetical by you Albany. What bullshit. <laughs> Uh, first up here is Eli Drinkwitz, head coach of Mizzou. So this is a, hey, I did not quite expect Mizzou to be as good as they were this year. Yeah. Uh, he's been building this program for a few years now. They're on a track where you can see some potential in them in the future. Uh, they're still more than a few years out, but they're they're making a name. They're becoming relevant. I like everything he's done. Which SEC coaches agree with us because he was named as SEC Coach of the Year by the other head coaches in the SEC. Damn, we're pretty good at this. Right. Uh, our next guy was not the Coach of the Year in his conference, though, because Kalen DeBoer beat him out. I'm talking about Jed Fish is our finalist for Power 5 Coach of the Year because, again, talking about expectations versus what they actually were able to accomplish, uh, I don't think anyone in their right mind thought Arizona would finish inside the top 25 and Arizona got all the way into the top 15 in the country with an offense that nobody expected, but also just being really fun. What Arizona <laughs> was able to do, especially with how they started, because they really didn't start looking out that good. They started the season looking like typical Arizona. The way he was able to get these players to buy in was absolutely insane. That's why they are where they are, and that's why he is our Coach of the Year finalist. In the ACC, our head coach of the year finalist went 13-0. and I'm talking about Mike Norvell. Uh, really should have been in the playoffs. Very much the same situation as Eli Drinkwitz for me. Mike Norvell has been building this program. Uh, he's done it consistently now at two schools where when he gets his guys, they succeed. They should be in the playoffs. Absolutely fantastic season. Even if they came with a little bit of those expectations, it's one to have them, but two, it's another put together an undefeated 13-0 season. Got to have them in there. Yeah, this is almost the exact opposite of Jed Fish, right? Nobody had expectations. They outperformed them in Arizona. Everybody expected Florida State to go on a, on a tear, 
And the fact that we're able to do it even through some of the hardships at the end of the year Correct. is just incredible. That's that's yep. a sign of a talented head coach. And our fourth Power Five Coach of the Year finalist is Steve Sarkeesian. Look, man, uh, all you got to say for this is Texas is back. They've been searching for a coach for about 12 years. Uh, more than that, actually, about 15 years. Uh, they found one. Texas is back. No, not much more to say. It is really funny, though, that the Big 12 head coaches all voted, and they named Mike Gundy Coach of the Year and not Steve Sarkeesian. That's, as a, that's one an final expect- fuck you. I was going to say, that's also <laughs> an expectations. Oklahoma State didn't right. come in with those expectations. Texas did. No, I, I think it was all about the one final fuck you. I, 100%. Leaving. <laughs> but I'm going to defend it because why not? But 100% nah. it was. No, nah, it was all a big, <laughs> big all right. Hit it. <laughs> big horns down for the Big 12. <laughs> but we have him as one of our top four. All right, group of five. Starting us off here with undefeated Conference USA champion Jamie Chedwell in his first season with the program takes Liberty on a wild ride. And he first took what ever Hugh, FBS conference championship. I was going to say he did what Hugh freeze has started building and he continued it and he did it. Well, this makes sense to me. No, he needs to be in our final list, but conference USA named two coaches of the year. Boo. Coach of the year. Uh, both of them are finalists for us. We also have Jerry kill in our top four. Coach of the year and the group of five. Look, my and man yes. lives for New Mexico State. I don't know why, but I am here for it. Again, what yes, he did I have with two pictures of him because it's fun. <laughs> what he did with that turnaround is absolutely insane. No expectations, man. He he is a player's coach, and you can see it in the way they play. Yeah, they they go all out for him, and it's really fun to watch. New Mexico State is. One of the best stories of the last two years of college football. Fact. Next here, Ryan Silverfield of Memphis. I know Memphis did not finish the season the way they wanted to as potential American Conference champions, but damn, the way that team came together and still with a, a really solid season. I know a lot of Memphis fans are going to be disappointed that they weren't in that conference title game, but with Tulane and UTSA and SMU performing at the level that they were on offense specifically. Uh, It was tough for anybody to keep up, and Memphis played their hearts out. And the fact that he was able to keep them motivated after the loss to Tulane, as rough as that was, was a big factor for me. And you're nodding your head so aggressively, I think it was a factor for you too. (laughs) It, it, It absolutely is. I mean, and people can say Memphis had hopes, and they did have hopes for an American championship berth. I don't know if I necessarily had that expectation uh, for them this year, but Ryan Silverfield had them competing and had them in a position where a couple of games go a different way and they're in, right? That's that's still a big deal. More importantly, he brought them back home to the Liberty Bowl. Uh, they're playing a home game for their, for their bowl game, so hey, why not? And I'll be at that bowl game. Very fun. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. Crazy to me that we only get four finalists because I had like four, five additional names that I wanted to include. But our fourth one here is Jeff Trailer. So we have two Conference USA and two American head coaches here for the group of five. Now, this is leaving off 
so many great coaches. I hate it. <laughs> but Jeff Trailer is deserving. The way he was able to turn this team around, the way he, he was able to coach around some of the regression you were talking about with Frank Harris. Yep. The way he was able to coach around the development of a defensive line who clearly got better through the course of the season. I mean, these are some of the things you need a great coaching staff to be able to pull off. And Jeff Trailer was able to parlay that into an an eight and one regular season in the American. Uh yeah, it's only loss coming at the end there to Tulane, which eh, kind of you know. don't blame him for. So <laughs> come on, you gotta win those. Those are the tight ones. You gotta win them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, with a UTSA team in their first year in the American Athletic Conference. Gotta do it. With man. uh <laughs> well, then maybe he's not gonna win, but he's a finalist for sure. Hey, there you go. I can't, this is leaving off Kurt Signetti, uh, who, yes, did have one loss with JMU, but still. This is leaving off John Summerall with Troy. This is leaving off Barry Odom. UNLV. Yeah, that, that's the surprising one that, that got left off here for me. Barry Odom, uh, again, just with the expectations to to actual results, I that's a tough one for me. Jason Candle, uh, Toledo, man. Jason Candle would have been on here if he could, you know, win two MAC championships in a row. That automatically gets you coach of the year for the BDT. <laughs> Got to win MAC twice in a row. <laughs> That's a new rule. I'm I'm claiming it. That's definitely one of the rules now. <laughs> I mean, dude, if you can win it twice in a row, you you reset <laughs> records at this point. So. <laughs> And our FCS Coach of the Year finalists, starting us off with Albany's own Greg Gattuso, who is the classic old ball coach up there. With the little, little stomach <laughs> hut. Yep. This is Albany's first playoff appearance in a decade. It's their first conference title in a decade. Greg Gattuso is doing things with Albany that we had – Zero expectations of happening this year. Really impressive stuff, what he's able to do. Tough shit next year, Greg. We expect it now. Right. You better fucking deliver, Greg. All eyes are on you. (laughs) Bobby Hawk is next for Montana. Uh, Just the plain and simple turnaround. What we've been talking about with Montana basically every time they, they come up on the show. Yep. This is a completely different team than when they started the season. So it's not a talent level thing. It's a coaching thing. Bobby Hawk has done a fantastic job this year getting Montana where they are. And I don't want to play Montana, tell you that much. If I'm South Dakota State, I do, but that's about it. I wouldn't really want to play them if I'm South Dakota State. If I could avoid Montana, I would I would avoid Montana. But we'll see. <laughs> Speaking of South Coast State, we do have Jimmy Rogers up here as a Coach of the Year finalist. Now, I know the expectations were there for him to go undefeated, and he did go undefeated. But also, this but, is his first year as a head coach. And ever. I, I was saying level. this earlier in the season. I used to get the, yeah, but he was handpicked for it. He was trained. It doesn't matter, man. The first year you take the reins, is it's different. Nothing ever works the way it's supposed to. He was able to put it together, keep this team in line, keep the team behind him, and it's resulted in exactly 
what it should have, which is him meeting expectations to this point. And there's still a long way to go before they get where they need to be. And our fourth coach of the year finalist for the FCS is Lafayette's John Troxel, an alumni of Lafayette, came back to his home school and led them to their first playoff appearance and conference championship in a decade, similar to Greg Gattuso up there in Albany. Uh, Lafayette was not good just a couple of years ago. In John Troxel's first year as a head coach this season, he brought the Leopards back to relevance in a big way. Yep. And unlocked some potential there from his guys who were already in the program. This was everything I could ask for from a coaching job. I know they lost in the first round of the playoffs. To some extent, I don't care. It was his first year there, and he made them look this good doing it. They also took an incredible comeback by Delaware to be even even knock Lafayette out of the yep. playoffs. Like, that was an insane game. So, John Troxel did a fantastic, fantastic job this year. No, absolutely. And it's insane to watch these guys turn their schools around. He knows what the, the – understands the school, knows what they need, knows how to coach the kids because a lot of times that culture really hasn't changed that much, at least in the, the school proper. Uh, I, I'm happy to see it. It's always fun to see that. Uh, and, and these guys are, or at least they were rolling. I guess they're not anymore. Believe it or not, that finally does it. I know it's two hours later, but we got through all of our finalists for the BDT Awards 2023. Can I have a break on the links tonight? You know what? I'll allow it. <laughs> I all will right. allow it. Links are in the description, folks. If you want to yeah. find us somewhere. We've been talking for two and a half hours. They've been scrolling across the bottom the entire time. So you can figure it out from here. <laughs> we, have, we have faith. Bug, that's just for you. <laughs> we love you, buddy. We miss you. We hope you had fun. Uh, but, Doug, you got anything else before I take us on out of here? No. Literally All right, guys. <laughs> it's been a wild ride today. Thank you for watching and or listening. And just remember, you can't win a game. You can't win a trenches.